Good morning. This morning we're reading from James chapter 1, starting in verse 19 and finishing the chapter. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts as we look at the word of God today please him and be acceptable to him. So we're, we're over a month now into our, our study of this letter written by James, who many people believe was the Lord's, bio, Jesus Christ's biological brother, who essentially you know, was not one of the original 12 apostles, but over time in the church in Jerusalem developed such a reputation of integrity and leadership that he kind of had the weight of an apostle in, in his ministry uh, and in his leadership. And so this letter, we've been, we're five weeks in now, and, and what, you are, what you've already seen is James talked to us about our trials and our adversity and how God really refines our faith and purifies our faith through our adversity. Now he changes his approach. He changes his discussion, what he's talking about. And now he's going to introduce a theme that is maybe one of his greatest concerns in the letter, the thing he's passionate to remind Christians about. And it's this. This is one of his biggest concerns, hypocrisy in religion. This concept is going to keep coming up for the rest of his letter. Now, if you're not a Christian or if you don't align yourself with any particular religious faith, uh, this concept, hypocrisy in religion, religion, um, may be a very sensitive issue for you, and rightly so, because James says in chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So there is a common deception among religious communities the world over and as long as humanity has been religious, there's this common conception that God cares only about our beliefs and our talk, what we believe and what we say. That somehow God is uninterested in our actions and our decisions and our habits toward some type of change in our living. That's a deception. What I believe is important, what I say is important, how I actually live, not as important. That's the deception, and it leads to hypocrisy, James says. So this is going to be a big concern as we keep looking at this letter together. 
I want you to think about uh, some of our culture's heroes. Think of movies and books and fairy tales and comic books, things like that. Uh, think of how so many of our heroes and heroines uh, cannot have an impact on the world or on society until they discover their true self. Isn't that a common theme? Think of Captain Marvel. Think of Superman. Think of Harry Potter. Think of Poe in Kung Fu Panda. They have to discover who they truly are before they can make a difference. Even Nacho Libre, by the way, have to throw in that one there. Um, but I think you're going to see in what James is saying to us today at the end of chapter one is that those who remember who they are will do what they're supposed to do. Jesus talked, us, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Identity leads to impact. And so we're going to talk about what true religion looks like. We're going to talk first about what it looks at. And I should have said that first. We're going to talk about what true religion looks at for its guidance and its authenticity. And then we're going to talk about what true religion looks like in our lives, in our church, in our ministry, in all of our relationships, and in our work. Not only what religion looks at for inspiration, but what it looks like once we are inspired by its truth. And finally, we're going to talk about what true religion looks for in order to keep its hope and its authenticity and to be sustained. Uh, so prepositions are important today. Uh, what true religion looks at, what it looks like, and what it looks for in order to remain authentic and to stay on track. So keep an eye on the prepositions. All right, true religion looks intently at a person's new identity. That's what it's looking at. One's new identity, but it's a God-given identity. It's an identity that comes from God's revealed word, the Bible, James tells us. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You see that? And he, he talks about God's word as what? The implanted word. That's important. Last week, when we looked at verse 18 of chapter 1, he said, of God's own will, he brought us forth by what? The word of truth. And now he tells us it's an implanted word within us. The apostle Paul called it the gospel. And that's what gives birth to a person's faith, but it's also what sustains a person's faith. And this is why we have to look at the implanted word because it not only gives birth to faith, it sustains faith. You want to know your true identity? Look at God's word. That's why theologians have always called the Bible God's special revelation, because he reveals to us what he's like and who he is, but he also reveals to us what we're like and who we are. You want to know who you truly are? Look at the implanted word that God has put inside of you as you look at the Bible. Okay, so James offers an analogy here of two different types of people and how they spend life in front of the mirror. 
Life in front of the mirror. Two contrasts. He describes a hearer of the truth who does not act on it. And he says this person is like this in verses 23 and 24. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Now, you might think, well, that's ridiculous. That's so ridiculous. Nobody, who, who forgets what they look like? That's James's point. It, it's preposterous. As you heard Chevy saying to the kids, like, that's a silly idea. Imagine looking in the mirror and then forgetting what you look like. That's James's point. This is a person who has a major problem. They're living under a deception. But, and here's the contrast, he also talks about a hearer of the truth who also acts on the truth. And in verse 25, what? He, what does he say about this person? They're the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Now, James uses a different word for look. So in the original Greek language, he's using two different words for look here. The first person who looks intently into the mirror and then forgets what they look like, it's a different word than the second word for look. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that word for look, it, it meant to crouch down and, and look at something. It meant to stoop down and look inside something. It's the word used in the Gospels for when Mary Magdalene and Peter and John come to the empty tomb and look into the tomb. It's the word that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says that angels are absolutely mystified and, and amazed at what God is doing in humanity, right? Because they're not human beings. And it says in, at the end of 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, what God is doing in us, taking sinners like us and making them his beloved children... Angels are amazed by that, and Peter puts it as even angels look into these things, but the word there is to crouch down. Angels just want to get a glimpse at what God is doing in humanity, and that's the word that James uses to describe the person who looks into the perfect law, the law of freedom, and perseveres. And so the New Testament scholar Aida Spencer she suggests that the difference here is in the way each person is looking. It's in the manner of looking that James draws the contrast. She says the first person is contemplative, right? Looking intently, is contemplative, is thoughtful, but there's a casual ease in the way the first person is looking. The second person, however, there is a straining, right? The stooping down, they're humbling themselves. There is an act of physical and emotional contrition and humility to draw close and look at what is reflecting back at them. The difference is in the manner of the looking. And I would just suggest, I would add further, that the first person is looking at themselves. And the second person is looking at the perfect law, the law of liberty, which is the truth of God's word which is summarized in the gospel, which we know is what saves our souls. And what James says about this person who is looking in such a way, stooping down, crouching down to get a glimpse and stays there, what does he say about them? This person will be blessed in all his doing. He'll be blessed 
in his doing. You see that? So true religion looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and doesn't look away. He says he perseveres, right? He looks and perseveres. The word of truth, the implanted word, tells a Christian who she is. God promised that this would be true. He said through his prophet Jeremiah, almost 3,000 years ago, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Isn't that beautiful? You want to know who you are? Look at the law of freedom, the perfect law implanted in your soul by the God who wrote it. Note well and note carefully, looking at God's word is not the end of it. Because James says he will be blessed in what? His looking? No. In his doing. As he looks and perseveres, he will be blessed in his doing. So, true religion not only looks at this word implanted within the Christian, but true religion looks like a person who acts on their new identity, a church that acts according to its new identity. So James, actually, if you look at the passage as a whole, he opens and clothes the passage, opens and clothes the passage with um, a negative example of what religion looks like when it is polluted, right? When it is inauthentic, when it is hypocritical. He says in verses 19 and 20, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, he's saying that our rash words, our quick tempers, these actions pollute our worship and our unity and our witness. And he returns to this idea all the way down in verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Man, we have to just breathe for a second and look at those words. I mean, the Bible is, the New Testament is full of kindness and compassion, and these are hard words. His religion is worthless, really? Let's make it very practical. Put it this way. If anyone thinks he is a Christian and does not limit his reactivity on social media, but fools himself about his own morality, this person's Christianity is worthless. Did he really say that? No, James said it. I just gave you different words for dealing with it right now. And if you're not on social media, fine. Put it in the context of your work crew. Put it in the context of your family. Put it into the context of your community group. Put it into the context of your marriage. James is saying our Christianity is worthless if our actions don't back up what we believe. But James now gives a positive example. So he doesn't just slap us around. He gives us something to encourage us. Encourage us. He gives us a positive example of pure religion. Listen to verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You're like, wait a minute, 
left turn here, what is he talking about now? Here's what's happening. Remember, James is probably writing to Christians who were Jews. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures. They knew the Torah. And what did they know about the second greatest commandment? To love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself was most obvious and most needed among those who were vulnerable in society, particularly orphans and widows and aliens, immigrants. And you see this in the scriptures in the Old Testament over and over again. God says to the Israelites, you love me? Love your neighbor. You think you love your neighbor? Okay, love the poor. You think you love the poor? Okay, love your enemies. You see it again and again. You know, if, you're, if you're loving God, you will be loving your neighbor. And James is bringing that principle home for us. So you want to know if your religion is true, look so intently at God's word that it, it influences your actions toward change. That's how we know our religion is true. Our denomination, the Presbyterian Church, has a beautiful theology. It's one of the things that attracted me to our denomination and to Reformed theology is its beauty as a worldview. It answered so many of my questions, even to this day, and it's helped me deal with suffering and with pride. But I will say that it's not enough to have a beautiful theology. You have to act on it. One of the biggest sins of the American church, Dr. Carl Ellis Jr. says, is not its lack of orthodoxy, but its lack of orthopraxy. And to make that simple, practicing what we preach, putting into action what we say we believe. How do we know religion is true? because its adherents look so intently at the word of God that it influences not simply what they say, but how they live towards change. And so James gives us just one example of many, right? He, when you put all of this together, he gives us one example of what true religion looks like. Slow to anger, quick to help. Are we a people, are you a Christian, who is slow to anger, but quick to help. Okay, that is a countercultural person. A lot of people are not slow to anger and quick to help. They're the reverse. That is a church that can impact change in its community and in the world. Slow to anger, quick to help. So, like, refocusing refocusing our attention away from God's word and focusing it onto everything else around us in the world um, or not making the word of God our main focus, that will eventually pollute our faith and pollute our re religion. It'll pollute our church. It'll pollute every ministry and community group we have. If, if, our, if we refocus our overall attention away from this implanted word, this perfect law that brings liberty, uh, just two very simple examples. Um, uh, polluted religion, uh, in, in one sense, can become overly academic. Right? That's a problem Presbyterians have, becoming overly academic or, or becoming moralistic in our thinking or becoming traditional uh, simply for the sake of holding on to our traditions. 
and becoming internally focused as a family, as a Bible study, as a church. Overly academic, moralistically thinking, and just being traditional for the sake of being traditional and becoming internal. And what that does is it compromises a church's impact on the outside community and the world. That is what happens to religious conservatism when it goes unchecked by the perfect law of freedom, the word of truth. On the other hand, uh, sometimes religion can become overly activistic, uh, tribalistic in its thinking, progressive for the sake of progress in itself. And what happens, when that, what happens there is uh, a compromising of the truth and the church's witness that the gospel alone saves. It's the gospel that saves. It's still the gospel that saves. Our behavior doesn't save anybody. The gospel saves people. And that is what happens when religious liberalism is unchecked by the word of truth, the law of perfect freedom. But James says that true religion is, true religion is this, to keep oneself unstained from the world. The world around us can pollute our religion, our faith, how we worship God together, how we serve one another, how we serve our community. That's our religion, how we worship God and how we serve. And what will pollute that is keeping an eye on everything else in the world and focusing on those priorities. But here's the other thing. Remember what James said yesterday. He talked, last week, he talked about indwelling sin, and that'll pollute our religion also. The sin, within, the sin within us, as well as the world outside of us, pollutes our religion, and that was what James was so concerned about. Uh, think of the Greek myth of Narcissus, right? You heard about this guy, really good-looking dude, and uh, you know, rejects everybody, right? Nobody can get close to Narcissus, and he's out there, and he sees this beautiful person in the water. It's himself. <laughs> and, and looking at himself, he falls in love with that image. And depending on the tradition of the myth, two thi- either two things happen to him. He falls in love with himself, and, and he's, he's, he's so discouraged and deflated that this reflection won't love him back, that in, in sadness he melts into the ground and becomes a flower, the daffodil. The other story is um, he kills himself. Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of what happens when you look at yourself and forget who you truly are. James says your religion is worthless. You see that? That's what happens when a church looks at the world, looks at needs that may be important but aren't essential and forgets who it is. Its religion becomes worthless. But true religion looks for something. True religion, we said, I said it, it, it looks at the implanted word of God within us to tell us who we are. True religion looks like people and a church that acts on its beliefs, but true religion in order for sustenance and authenticity to persevere, true religion looks for its author. It looks for its founder. It looks for its protector. It looks for Jesus. True religion is always looking for Jesus in every aspect of what it does and what it says 
and how it believes and how it reforms itself. It's always looking for Jesus in everything that it does. Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 11, he's saying that in the context of all the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the chief priests and the elders who rejected his message, who rejected his words and were against him. And all the people were used to following them and dealing with their moralistic religious burdens that were less about God and more about them and their power and their influence. And in the context of all of that, Jesus says to the people who were willing to listen to him, come to me. And he said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And so James helps us understand what Jesus was talking about when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> it's so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard to love God and love my neighbor. Yeah, I get it. But Jesus is saying, actually, there's an aspect where it should be light and easy for you. And James makes sense of why Jesus said it's easy and it's light. Because obedience to Jesus is founded on what? The perfect law. The law of freedom. The implanted word, which we call the gospel. The perfect law of liberty. You see that? Some translations say the perfect law of freedom. This is why it's easy and light to follow Jesus and listen to his word. Because obedience to Jesus is founded on the law of freedom, which tells us that this is a religion that's not based on rules. And it's not based on laws. This is a religion that is founded upon a person. A person. And what he did. And think about what he did in dying for us as a substitute for our sinful souls that, de that deserved God's wrath and punishment, in dying for us, Jesus proved that God is what? Slow to anger and quick to help. That's why his law is easy, and that's why his burden is light. That is why Jesus following him is easy and light from a religious perspective, because he's done the hardest part. He's carried your sins to the cross. He's died in your place. And in love and gratitude for that and for him, you get to follow him. You get to trust him. You get to give yourself to a man who is low enough to draw near to you and live your life and die in your place and take your punishment. That's why his burden is easy and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because he carried the heaviest part of it. Religion, listen, you know this is true. Religion without Jesus is impersonal, it's prideful, it's judgmental, and it's unforgiving. Does your religion look like that? Is that how you relate to one another? Is that how we relate to one another in our religion? That's religion without Jesus. Nobody walks away from religion that is founded on Jesus. Nobody feels burned by religion that is founded on Jesus. 
They are burned by what we do to our religion. They are burned by what we make our faith out to be when we are looking at the wrong things. But pure religion comes from Jesus Christ, and his true followers will reflect his nature. Amen? And so he could say in John chapter 8, this is Jesus now, and look at, the, look at how this is so much in common with what James is saying. He, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you see that? The implanted word, the law of perfect liberty. If you abide in that, he says, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus was slow to anger and quick to help. Now you act the same. Jesus was slow to anger and quick to help. Now let us be a church that does the same. Internally and outwardly. Because those who remember who they are will do what they're supposed to do. Another way of saying that is those who remember who they are in Christ will do as Christ did. True religion looks at a person's new identity in Jesus. And true religion looks like people and a church that act upon who Jesus is and what he has made them and how he has commanded them to love one another. And true religion is always looking for Jesus as its salvation, as its guide, as its leader, as its hero in all that it does. So look intently at God's word and let it influence your actions to the point of change and help each other along the way. Let's pray. Our God, it is, uh, I don't know if it's refreshing or startling to hear James speak to us through the scriptures. But may his words, uh, as hard as they are, uh, to go down, may we digest them with faith. And Father, I pray that this implanted word within us would not only save our souls for some of us who may not know Jesus and follow him yet, but for those of us who do, may it lead to active faith. May it lead to authentic faith. May it lead to true religion, and may others see it and know that you exist and have sent your Son. Amen.